is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 2nd of January 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my Happy New Year co-host, Jan. Happy, it's the 2nd of January, man. I don't want to do this today, but Happy New Year. Uh, too much alcohol for Jan last night. No, 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 no. This guy doesn't drink alcohol. That's what he says. It's lies. It's all lies, I tell you. Anyway, Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to our audience. Happy New Year for everybody. I hope everybody had a good 2017. And uh, I'm very impressed by Dave that he got 2018 correct. Because I know myself, I'll be misquoting the year for the next couple of weeks at least. Yeah, probably the first uh, three months or so. But, you know, that's fine. But, All right. Uh, already at the start, we're starting to prognosticate a little bit. And this is, of course, our future prediction extravaganza. Indeed. So, yes, it is that time again of, of year where we uh, gaze into the crystal ball and uh, make a fool of ourselves <laughs> and definitely don't learn from previous experience just how bad we are at doing this. I got an advantage here, right? Because people listened to two episodes ago. I got pretty much everything wrong, so I can only go up. This is true. This is true. Whereas I have... Uh, That's called strategy, I, I got, by the way. Yeah, I got I got 50% correct, so uh, I could go up or down. Um yeah, let's see. <laughs> I do want to say it was very hard to get predictions this year. I mean, most of the time during the year, I kind of make some notes here and there. And by the time we have to do this episode, I pretty much have something already planned out. And But this year, I don't know. It really feels like we're in a kind of transition period where everything is stabilizing or... I guess a bit of the hype is gone, so it's not that living anymore how, how how did you find it i also did find it fairly tricky to come up with some 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 predictions that i thought would be <sighs> predictions that would be interesting to try and track that was the that was the, yeah. i mean you could you could predict a whole bunch of stuff but it wouldn't actually be very interesting mm-hmm. or exciting to follow or you know close i mean Let's face it, some of the reasons we choose our predictions are not because we want to win, but because we think this is what should happen, and we want to sort of, if you like, almost okay. be a part of making it happen. Can, 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 I, can I interject here that you predicted a lot of security bre- breaches uh, last year, and now you're saying that's what you wanted to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I do like yeah, that you think maybe. so. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think that, well, when it comes to innovation anyway, maybe not yeah, the security yeah, yeah, breaches, yeah. but I think we, we you know, there's the, the phrase skate to where the puck is. And I think when we often, when we do our predictions, we're predicting for almost what we hope is going to happen over the, over the year and what, uh, what we want to be talking about at the end of the year. Wasn't it a great year? We saw AI powered flying underwear. <laughs> Okay. Chatbots wearing you put the AI propeller. powered flying underwear. Well, I don't know. It depends if it's the the male or the female version. Um, okay, this is going too deep. Here. Let's not. Let's not. Let's <laughs> no. 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 Back. 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 Now, for me, it's a bit different. I don't really try to predict what I want to talk about, but more what I think we'll be talking about. The things that will become interesting enough that we will have actual episodes dedicated to them. Mm-hmm. 
that's a bit of for me it's a bit of a uh, i guess a bit of a start of a planning for next year's uh, episodes that's a bit all different. right well i think we've got uh roughly four predictions each so uh yeah. let's uh let's let's get into it who's going to go first uh, well, I did so badly last time, so I'll go first. I, I want to oh. prove I can do just as bad this year. <laughs> okay, go for it. <laughs> the first one is going to be, uh, I guess you'll expect this one from me. Uh, cloud will become the de facto choice for big data deployments. Where today people are still debating if it should be on-premise or not. It will be predominantly on the cloud in the, in the next year, I think. And that's not because the people that are doing Hadoop today suddenly change, see the light and change their minds. <laughs> but more a, now that it's on the cloud and the ease of use has gotten better, more people with smaller uh, engineering teams can also start doing them this stuff. And they will start outweigh the importance of the big guys. I mean, if you're looking at an, a Microsoft, a Google, an Amazon, a Facebook, uh, a Twitter, a Spotify, they're so big, they'll probably stay on premise for the majority of their stuff and do some cloud bursting here and there, perhaps, peak shaving. But I think a lot more people start using this stuff and they will first look at cloud because of the uh, lower barrier of entry, basically. Interesting. Okay. And this is no shape or form me making myself rich in the future. It's totally <laughs> coincidental. But but if, if that happens as well, then that's just a bonus. It's Literally. a burden I have to bear. <laughs> so this is this is very, very interesting. Uh, and the reason I find this particularly interesting is that you my first prediction well, you see the <laughs> thing is my first prediction for twenty eighteen is that I think 2018 is going to be the year of cloud-first and hybrid cloud. I think... Mm -hmm. So I, I certainly think that we're going to see significantly more cloud deployments um, for big data and advanced analytics in 2018. I think that's that's just where everything is heading. As you, as Exactly as you've said, the 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 ease of deployment the lower barrier of entry all these kind of things the automation that all the cloud providers have been putting in place to make this more easily uh, adoptable has really been a you know that's been the focus building up through 2017 yeah and i think you know 2018 is the year where the cloud providers really start to capitalize on that yeah, i think it's matured enough now yeah, I agree. I agree, but I also think that we're going to see um, we're going to see more hybrid cloud adoption as well. And I think whether that's uh, people have already done stuff on prem and start to do, I don't really like the term cloud bursting because that that suggests something that I think is not a mm -hmm. uh, not a realistic expectation in many cases. Yep. But I think we're going to see people. Looking at the workflows, looking at the jobs that they're trying to do, looking at the data sources, and actually they will start to migrate certain things to cloud, keep certain things on-prem. In some cases, there'll be movement between the two environments. And I think in some cases, we will see uh, organizations going with even multi-cloud 
um, hybrid clouds as well. Oh, multi-cloud is becoming standard already. Uh, any person I talk to today is always evaluating multi-cloud for security, whatever. Because yeah, yeah, there have yeah. been outages on all three clouds out there. Yeah. And if you're big, if it's really your bread and butter, if you go bankrupt, if that, if you if you're down for an hour, if it if it drives your business, yeah, I mean, just like you it used to have disaster recovery solutions and high availability, multi-cloud is just part of that. Yeah. So I think I think that I think that's right. I think that people have been evaluating it heavily this year. I think next year is what we'll where we'll see more more wide scale adoption yeah. of that. So yeah. Yeah, you're right. With the cloud bursting is not really the, the the people have a wrong idea there. When I talked cloud bursting, I meant that the production cluster stays on premise, but the ad hoc clusters that the uh, data science can play with for half an hour, those will be more in the cloud. So it's separate yeah, from yeah. the production, doesn't affect it, and they still have all the tools available. And it's easy to set up and throw away again. That's how I see the cloud bursting thing. Yeah. For the hybrid cloud, that's definitely a strong thing in cloud in general at the moment. Uh, for Hadoop. Specifically, it's harder because then you do get into yeah. this wrong cloud bursting idea of having worker nodes in the cloud and on premise, and that will work, right? Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but if you're talking about the advanced analytics, so the bigger scope around it, where your Hadoop cluster is a part of your environment, yeah, definitely parts on prem, parts in the cloud. And you see also that uh, I talked about the data prep thing last episode. That's typically one of those examples where you can actually leverage the hybrid cloud. We do the small scale on local and the big scale in the cloud, or vice versa. Yeah. I mean, both both ways are possible there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it, it's important. Well, it's important to state to our to our readers that actually we have, as as usual, we've kept our predictions secret from each other. Mm-hmm. So the, what you're hearing is our, our discussion and our uh, our covering these things is a surprise to both of us. So yeah, interesting. The first ones have uh, have actually aligned. Yeah, and this was your number one as well. Because I did yeah. order mine in the most most interesting one, and it goes down and becomes I don't know, gets ludicrous at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, so mine, mine, um, mine are all fairly, fairly, fairly tier one. I've not, uh, I've not come up with anything. I suppose maybe, maybe, maybe one of them <laughs> we'll is ludicrous. We'll see. we'll see, we'll see. But no, I think mine are all fairly, uh, fairly. I think mine are all fairly achievable. We'll see. Yeah, everything is achievable, but uh, give an example, please. All right, then. So my second bold prediction. No, your first one, because the first one is mine. You lost that one. No, again. I went no, first. no, 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 no. Cloud first and hybrid cloud, that's mine. Anyway, um, so my second bold prediction is uh, I think we're going to see far more um, far more IoT feeding into big data and specifically um, far more... Um, computing at the edge, um, feeding data into uh, big data platforms. The pretty much everywhere you look, from you know conversations around smart cities, uh, self-driving cars, or even um, just uh, data-driven cars, um, manufacturing, retail. Everything is moving more and more towards putting more intelligence at the edge, um, not sending all data because the the volumes of data that can be collected at these edge devices now has just become so monstrous that it's just it's impossible to feed all that data back. So having 
methods that can be used to push some of that compute, some of that intelligence uh, out to the edge, doing some initial uh, quality assurance, some initial prioritization, and, and generally deciding in a more intelligent fashion what data you want to send back after some maybe some initial light processing back to a big data platform. I think that is uh, going to be one of the key trends for 2018. I don't know. I mean, you're right that IoT is getting more and more impor- uh, important in the whole big data environment. So it's been happening for quite a time already. Mm-hmm. But because of the accessibility and uh, yeah, low price of the devices these days, it gets more and more approachable. The thing and that the, the power increasing on these devices as well. Yeah, but that's also a risk because as we talked about last, uh, no, two episodes ago with our, when we did our past predictions review, uh, security uh, intrusion, data loss, data theft, and one big part of the whole security problem is IoT devices that aren't yeah. secure. So I do feel that in the last couple of months, people have actually pulled back a little bit like yes this is all possible but should we do this are these devices safe enough and i haven't really seen a i mean the awareness is there now iot your little lights in the house and your door front door automatic lock with your iphone that's great and that's very user-friendly and your car that starts with your remote app but how secure is this and i haven't seen the devices get more secure or do enough to put the confidence back into the people. Mm, so I, I think I that that's my hinder it. Yeah, so I don't know about that. I, yeah. I would I would say that I think we've seen the IoT device manufacturers starting at least um, from a uh, perception side of things, starting to step up mm-hmm. and... Um, it's gone for me at least it's it's gone beyond awareness it's gone to mm-hmm. they realize that they have to act on this otherwise yeah, have they to. future tense yeah but they haven't yet we're predicting for 2018 so yeah i think i think it's too early <laughs> 2018 they won't have the uh, the confidence back yet and another question i have actually for you mm-hmm. um because you just talked about the device vendor now who will in future be the owner of the data because what i also see happening is that you have these companies that have that build sensors and put them in place and capture data and then sell that data to people that want to do something with it so where traditionally me my factory i put sensors in place to get my data i've seen a little bit of of a new business model coming up here where the sensor vendors and maybe not the sensor builders because that's usually factory in china somewhere but basically the guys that developed a patent to do a certain sensor measurement whatever they capture all the data and then they f- decide what parts of the data they make available to a business that uses their iot solution more as a service let's say Have you seen anything like that i've seen some of that yeah um and it causes problems it it does but i think the the whole data driven model and the whole you know data being the product i think that's i think that's going to go through quite a 
quite a significant set of changes next year. And in fact, that's one of my other predictions that uh, I'll be talking about a little okay. later. We can uh, pick that up at that point then, because I think that's an interesting one, because I've actually seen mm. a, a project where the advanced analytics that we wanted to do were made impossible because the sensor vendor only gave aggregated data to such a high level of aggregation that he couldn't really do any machine learning on it anymore. And it was also very logical that that vendor did that because it actually sold a solution that gave you that information, that machine learned and information already. So they didn't want to give the data yeah. so you do it yourself. So that's where... Well, I mean, so this this is this is almost, this is a story that's as, as old as as old as analytics and big data, actually, because if you look at, uh, you know, things in the, in the telco space, for example, where um, mm-hmm. they've had you know, sensors on the networks get able to get very granular information for decades. The problem has been how on earth do you um, store and process that data? So all of the different analytics vendors in this space have had solutions that have tried to, in some way, shape, or form, deal with that. But in many cases, the, the results, exactly as you've said, have ended up, you know, maybe you'll get, you know, fully granular data for a short period of time, but it very, very, either very quickly gets aggregated up into data that is, as you say, from a, an ML perspective, almost meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, or indeed, you don't, you don't even get that granular data in the first place. They just consider it to be too, uh, too raw to be useful. So <laughs> that's when, that's when big data kind of stepped in and people started to, you know, take the feeds from these, uh, these paid components these network probes and actually feed them directly into mm-hmm. big data platforms so they can actually start doing this themselves so i yeah it, it's it's a it's definitely a common a common scenario and a common situation yeah, yeah, yeah. well that's uh yeah interesting iot i don't have iot in my predictions at all to be honest because mm-hmm. I, I see it more as a uh, yeah not interesting subset anymore it's i only get into the play after that whole thing anymore because the whole streaming thing uh, as it goes to the edge more and more it kind of leaves my 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 point of view my yeah, yeah, my yeah. visibility i just yeah. see data coming in and what happens before there but i must also admit that uh, on azure we, there is now something called uh, compute at the edge so it is still very 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 living very alive mm. All right. So, what's your second prediction then? Uh, my second one. Let's just see if I need to skip that one. Nope. We can do still do this one. Um, okay. Uh, one liner. In-house development is too slow since good reusable solutions become available across industry, and it's a bit of a follow-up on the first cloud thing, where I predict, ah, hollow voice, that. Traditionally, people, big companies, we have all the data, let's build something, let's make something, iterate on it, and so on. And even just as traditional, it always took too long. Because of cloud and stuff uh, and, and ease of use things, it's now possible for a small startup to develop a machine learning algorithm, to develop a, uh, an IoT sensor, to develop a something, make gold out of uh, data solution, whatever it may be, and then sell that to a, to a customer as a service. And I mean as a service, not as a product. Here is a piece of code you can install in your cluster, but really 
stream your data through our thing and we'll give it back to you. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a limited version of that already with uh, AI algorithms uh, available on uh, cloud provider platforms and stuff like that. But I'm, I kind of think that because developing something in-house, people have noticed now this takes years to get something that really makes money. Let's be okay with something that's less uh, built for me specifically. Let's get a more generic thing, but I can start using tomorrow. And particularly if you look at uh, social media things like, um, uh, how do you call that? Sentiment, uh, sentiment analysis. analysis, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, translation services, things like that. Those are the easy ones that already are being outsourced. And there's a bit of a competition going on at the moment between why would we pay for something that's so easy to do ourselves? Yes, but if you do it ourselves, you have to maintain it and yeah. we'll always be behind. And where a year ago, that wasn't a question because you didn't have something out there. You had to do it yourself. And now this really becomes a, a question of effort versus profit, let's say. And I kind of predict next year that the it's going to go the other way, that people are going to start outsourcing those things again. Not outsourcing to, to, to uh, big ISVs, but outsourcing to existing reusable components of solutions and just integrate those together again. And um, that also means that Hadoop becomes kind of a background technology, which you don't see anymore. It'll all be about the analysis, the advanced analysis. And having Hadoop behind it will probably steer the solutions in certain limitations or possibilities. But the whole Hadoop thing, I think less people will be working with Hadoop. More people will be just working with something built in Hadoop and they consume as a finished product, as a service. And it'll be more important for them to just, just how do I route my data there? How do I get the results yep. back quick enough? That Yeah. Yeah, connectivity I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, so I think that's that's interesting because that feeds into – it's not one of my predictions. Um, You're not going to steal say. this one. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. But I think that if you, if you look at the way that we're starting to see – uh, partner adoption of things like uh, Apache Metron. Um, mm-hmm. The we're starting to actually see um, providers that typically have have gone ahead and you know the answer for how to deploy their particular technology is first of all collect all the data, then build something that looks very much like a Hadoop cluster, then you know we can install our stuff on top of this thing that looks like a Hadoop cluster. And, you know, after all of that, then maybe you get some, some results that are useful. And the, the sort of the, the Metron approach is, well, if, if Metron is a standard that can provide all of that infrastructure for you, and you could just plug your uh, analytics engine into that, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be incredibly useful and, mm-hmm. and valuable? And that, so that's, I, I can definitely see that sort of, that partner angle, that outsourcing of the analytics, you know, and you can see it on a, on a wider scale of, as you say, things like uh, sentiment analysis are, are clear options for, um, that sort of adoption. So yeah, yeah. and also it will make the the job of a solution architect or an enterprise architect much more important because it'll be less about knowing the intricate details of how these uh, the things beneath the covers work, but more about how things how can interoperate with each other, integration yeah. possibilities, and just being aware which options are out there and which are the best solution for your your problem. Because again, it's not going to be as bespoke as a 
your, your own personal Hadoop cluster. So it's going to be very important to really be able to figure out which give you that little edge. And is it worth that extra five bucks a month or not? Yep. So yeah, that's my second one. Fair enough. All right, then. So going with number three on my side. Um, so my third prediction for 2018 is that the uh, the upcoming um, GDPR legislation will fundamentally change the, uh, the face and really the use of um, data governance, uh, data collection, anonymization, and retention across the big data space. Um, I know that uh, obviously early 2018 organizations will need to, at the very least, have a plan in place for how they're going to meet the uh, GDPR uh, requirements. But I think the the sort of the impact on this. I know everybody is talking about GDPR. Everybody, well, many we people, <laughs> many people are talking about GDPR um, and its impact. But I think that the the sort of the areas of big data and advanced analytics, I think it's 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 going to hit even harder than people think. Um, whether you're almost, you know, regardless of the industry that you're uh, part of. I think GDPR is going to really change. Uh, people are ha- going to have to get far more granular about how they understand what data they have in their data lakes. And I think as 2018 progresses, um, the number of um, you know solutions that are going to be um, sort of moving into this space, taking more of a focus into understanding the the content of your data lake um, are going to be more and more um, prevalent so that's my that's my third big prediction mm, I think it's too soon because as you said you have by March or something you have to have a plan in place and then you mm-hmm. have a couple of years at least to actually do it and since the whole GDPR thing is a Costs. It's, it's such a it's such yes, a yes, yes, massive it is, it problem. Is, it is. But it's also something that's going to cost money and not make money. And typically, organizations uh, when it costs money and doesn't make money, that's something you do tomorrow. Yeah, but you you you're forgetting the other part of that. Not not only will it cost them money to to actually implement these controls, mm-hmm. it will cost them very very serious money if they can't demonstrate that they have all of those plans and controls. Yes. And once that first fine goes out, then the gold rush starts. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think we will I'm being start to here. see. Well, no, I, I think you're right. I think we will start to see organizations um, actually that haven't done enough work. And to be honest, I'm not sure that many people understand really how much work is needed, mm-hmm. you know, what sort of plans you need to have in place. Yeah, it's all very fuzzy still. It is very, very fuzzy. But I think 2018, we will start to see some of the first fines going out for people that mm. haven't done enough planning even. And I think, I think, I think we'll see that next year. Uh, I'm kind of afraid that it's going to be so hard to actually enforce those fines because how do you, specify not enough uh, that's very hard to do so <laughs> i think I'm it's going to be space, yeah definitely <laughs> wouldn't want to be there at all but i think it's going this is going to get more fuzzy before it gets clearer because certain uh, i don't know i guess some legislation will be built around this to capture edge 
situations and things. And it's going to take multiple years before this comes to some kind of shape form that you actually know as a company what you're actually supposed to do. Now, I do think you're right that in 2018, a lot of offers will happen. A lot of uh, companies will position themselves as your trusted partner to solve all GDPR issues. (laughs) True, that's going to start, but I'm very much afraid that's all going to be marketing. And the first poor companies that actually pay these consultants to do GDPR solutions for them will be paying to educate those consultants in what should be done. And it's only going to be in, I would say, 2020, perhaps, that this actually starts running. I hope I'm wrong. Again, I hope people are smarter than this. But time will tell. Common common sense, right? <laughs> right then. What's your what's your third prediction? Um, my third one is a bit. Uh, it's we have this uh, roles and big data series going out from time to time, and this one is inspired from that one. My bold prediction is that the data science and data engineer jobs will change a lot this year. Mm-hmm. The data scientist, well, we already talked about the fact that domain knowledge is as important as having a good math background. I think that's going to go completely the other way, uh, uh, where earlier you had to be good statistician, good in math, and having some domain knowledge was interesting. Today, you need about 50-50. I think next year, having math, yeah, well, everybody has math, right? But do you have the domain knowledge? That's the important thing. And the math you can learn. Because again, because of the ease of use things, all of that, deep down knowledge is less important. The domain knowledge, on the other hand, is important. And companies will no longer be prepared to hire a math professor, let's just give it a a, a typical name here, and train this person to become a retail expert. They will much more likely get a retail expert and give him some online courses to do some statistics. So that's for the data science part. And for the data engineer part, uh, where I kind of saw this year data engineer really as a job of the future, really something, yeah, if you want to do big data stuff, but data science is too esoterical, you want to do a bit more down and dirty job, well, data engineer, it's necessary. As I talked about last episode, and I've talked about the uh, data prep uh, algorithms going out there, I'm not sure if you're going to see any data engineers by the end of the year. Ingest, yep, still going to be happening there. But the real data wrangling, cleaning and stuff, if I see how the data prep algorithms have progressed in the last couple of months of 2017, I -hmm. think by the end of 2018, the data engineer may have proven to be the shortest-lived career in history. Mm. Hey, bold prediction, come on. Yeah, true. It is bold. And you're right, your uh, predictions are getting wackier as they go on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I th- I think uh yeah, I, I think you you might be uh a, a little bit too far in the future for this. I don't know. We'll we'll see, but I I don't think that uh I don't think organizations are quite that ready to change yet. Mm, I'm seeing I see it happening already. Yeah, maybe. I mean, when I talk to customers now and I talk about their big data team, their advanced analytics team, I very rarely talk to somebody who knows what the linear regression is. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, it's a prediction. It is a prediction. Not convinced, but okay. That's fair. (laughs) All right. So, uh, number four. four? Yeah. Yeah. Fourth prediction from me. 
Um, I think that we're going to see um, big data and cybersecurity adoption increase uh, next year. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a weaker one than did last year. This year, actually, because this is yeah, the 2018 episode. Damn it. I knew I'd get the year mixed <laughs> up at some point during this episode. Um, so, yeah, I think this. Is, I think we're going to see some significant increases here. Um, the the market has been building throughout 2017. Um, uh, 2017, as, as I successfully predicted last year, was horrific in terms of uh, data breaches, botnets, and all kinds of other unsavory activity. Um, cybersecurity has become um, big business on the black hat side, mm-hmm. and we're now in, in a position where the the sheer volume of data that organizations are looking at from a cybersecurity front, um, it requires true big data solutions. So I think, I think it's, it's Mm -hmm. going to, it's going to happen. And we're going to see some, some serious adoption this year. Question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who will adopt big data here? Will it be the company itself uh, let's just say i'm a bank i will install uh, a patchometron or something like it to do it myself or is it going to be the palo altos the fortigates or whatever the brands out there are that will incorporate big data in their solutions and sell the package solution with big data behind it to the bank i think we're going to see both of those things i think you're going to see mssps managed uh, security services providers I knew um, was an acronym. adopting yeah <laughs> adopting uh, big data driven solutions we we already saw some of that start to happen in uh, 2017 mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. telstra and qsite it um, I, I think we're going to see uh, an uptick of that uh, in 2018 and i think that still the the you know the larger uh, organizations in this space you know the uh, the as you say the the major banks the major telcos i think they will probably still go with um, you know uh, their own self-deployed, whether it's on-prem or in-cloud uh, solutions. But I think it'll be it'll be big data driven. Yeah, but do you then think that they will do it themselves because it's not available to the scale that they require in the market yet, or because they want to keep it in house? But because by keeping it in house means you also take responsibility for it. And with GDPR coming up, if you have a application xyz from company abc that is supposed to do this and it still happened then you can say it's their fault to them so i see gdpr as a reason why you wouldn't want to do it yourself because then you take that risk and that responsibility for yourself and prefer that apollo alto or whatever you want to call them does it for you sure but the the that's the whole that's the whole thing with cyber security isn't it It, it's a it's a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because yeah, okay. You know, you can you can blame someone else for it, but um it's essentially it's your brand that's on the line for it, which is why so many organizations, uh, especially the larger organizations that have even more to lose, um will take that uh, that in-house in many cases. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you did it last year, and I said it was too soon. I think it's still too soon. Um, <laughs> I expect that a lot of people will look at it, and I'm kind of hoping that the, the the nice acronym you had there is going to start incorporating the stuff to make their solutions better so that businesses can just rely on the partners they've been using before 
if they're happy yep. with what they have, they should just be able to keep on using them with the new big data things on top of it. I'm afraid that if people do it themselves, uh, it becomes another burden for them. And yep. if you do it once, you'd have done it once. If you've done it 23 times, you'll be better at it. So a yep. partner solution should should give you better uh, get a better results, I guess. But I don't I think, think it's going to crystallize this year. It's going to be yeah. so I think, I think you will see. I think you will see more people go down the MSSP route than mm. they would have done with traditional tools. I think that's probably a fair. Mm. That's probably a fair assessment. But okay, well, time will tell. It always does. Mm-hmm. Again, it's usually not positive for us, but let's. We have twelve <laughs> months to forget about this. Yeah, and then make fools of ourselves <laughs> in twelve months' time. Excellent. I got right. one and a half. H- one hit more. Hit me up with your number four, then. My number four is a negative one. It's a pessimistic one, and I'm kind of surprised you haven't brought it up yet. I predict there will still be no good governance solution in 2018. Oh. Atlas will get better with IBM behind it. It'll it'll improve, it'll improve, but it'll still fail to offer that comprehensive, company-wide governance and lineage solution that the businesses are looking for with the eyes on GDPR and everything like that. And apart from, I don't want to single out Atlas here, I don't think anything will come out next year that will actually give people this I think GDPR is going to be one of the driving, could be one of the driving factors behind a really comprehensive solution being created, being assembled, being built. I don't think it's going to be 2018. So the reason I didn't put this, I mean, I suppose I, I kind of talked about it with the with the GDPR element mm-hmm. of mine, but yeah, I kind of agree. It's... Atlas, I mean, it, yeah, as you say, not specifically calling it Atlas, but Atlas using Atlas as an example, I think it would have need to have made a lot more strides in yep. 2017 for it to be in a suitable position in 2018. And as you say, there's there's also, there's nothing else nope. in the market. So I think what the only thing that you could potentially look at is integration and assemblies of a number of different mm. components and technologies together that might plug that gap. Yeah, but, but that makes it more complex again because every does. component you add, you have to also add to your governance. Yeah. Because it also touches your data, it also goes around in it. And yeah. I actually think it's it's the big technology gap for the moment. If somebody comes out with a solution that can do this the GDPR and everything, they yeah. got it made. But it's not it's, an easy one to unlikely. solve. It's, it's unlikely because it's it's it touches so many yeah, elements of an enterprise <laughs> that um, it's a, it's a solution that would have need to be now for quite some time that yep. would reach that level of maturity. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, as much as I hate to agree with you, <laughs> I which you always does. Kind of, I'm kind <laughs> of agreeing with you on this one. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you have a number five? So I, I kind of have a I have an also ran um, uh, prediction, which I I guess it, it, if we were following your trend of your predictions getting wackier and wackier, then <laughs> the, I guess this is my uh, my strangest one. Um, I think that in uh, in common parlance, um, AI and uh, machine learning will largely replace 
um, people talking about big data. Um, I don't think by the end of 2018, as many organizations will be talking about big data, big data will have faded into the background somewhat and people will be all consumed by artificial intelligence, machine learning, maybe chatbots, who who knows. Um, but, and yes, you know, all of these things will almost certainly live on big data mm-hmm. platforms, <laughs> but... I think I think that the time for big data may well have been the, the peak of it may well have been uh, in 2017, and to, you know by the end of 2018 it'll all be AI and ML and all sorts of other yeah. exciting acronyms. Yeah, I agree. I think the focus is going to shift away from the data points and more go towards the compute, ephemeral or not. Because mm-hmm. big data was very much focused on how do I capture all this data so I can make it available for analysis. And please, somebody build some tools to do analysis and all this big data now. Yeah. And now we're more in, okay, we have all this nice tooling and it's big, bright road ahead of it still because AI and machine learning, well, machine learning is perhaps a reaching the end of the beginning, but AI is definitely at the beginning of the beginning still. Mm-hmm. But the data thing, that's pretty much solved. You can store your data. It's cheapish i mean a petabyte will always cost more than megabytes but it's feasible it should be a normal cost of business today so that's done and the decoupling of your compute and data is always it also has advanced a lot more where earlier a couple of years ago you had this tightly coupled cpu and disk ratio let's say these days with cloud and even without cloud it's a lot more if uh, further away from each other and yeah the data thing it's not easy nothing is easy but it's it's seen as a solved problem mm-hmm. while the compute part is yeah that's and that's also what we talk about a lot lately about machine learning ai containers and all that stuff that's how to make more value out of that data that's already there mm-hmm. so yeah i uh I agree. I think I can agree with that. Fair enough. So do you have a number five? Yes, and you quick, you mentioned it there, chatbots. I mean, I had this big prediction last year about chatbots, which was, <laughs> according to some people, not entirely uh, accurate. I'm not going to name names. But I'm going to repeat it with a caveat. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to say chatbots in social media are here to stay. And the reason I put it in there as a last one is that I I was so bummed because we recorded the, well, no, we, we published the past predictions one where I had to eat crow on my chatbot thing. <laughs> and that same day, uh, KLM, the Dutch uh, airline uh, uh, corporation company, did a blog, uh, did a, a news thing out where they say that, and this is Dutch, I have to translate this on the fly, that their bots on social media are now answering more than half of all customer questions on social media. I can certainly tell you from my experience of attempting to use that service, it's not very good. Um, but <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying that it's the thing that is going to go, it's going to be everywhere. And that's why okay. it's meant last time so, it's palm, you need spam measures to get rid of them. You have to find a way, like we had this pay numbers for the for the as uh, customer support services and you always try to look for a local number so you didn't have to pay the extra, extra charge on it. That's going to be in the future, maybe not this year perhaps, but I, I can predict the time where you try to find sneaky ways to get around the chatbot to actually talk to a person because these chatbots become uh, on social okay. media very ubiquitous. So, so, so what you're saying is, is poor customer service is the way of the future? Um, yes and no. What I'm saying <laughs> is that 
and uh, okay there are no stupid questions but a lot of questions that go to uh supports people uh, aren't really worthy of a human response let's say i mean it's, it's uh, when i was in support a long long time ago the the, the 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 running joke was first question that the support person asks is did you plug it in sir and that's a have trope. You turned it off and on again. Uh, no, not even that. <laughs> have you plugged it in yet? My 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 Windows doesn't work. My Linux doesn't work. Okay, what do you see? A black screen. Did you turn the monitor on, sir? Oh, do I have to do that? I mean, it's a it's a it's a joke. It's a trope, but it's a reason it's there because it actually did happen a lot. Now these days, a lot less. I'm people are getting comfortable with this stuff, but I do think that most customer sports uh, departments. Uh, let's be conservative and say that 30% of the questions are things that people could just as easily have looked up themselves. Well, you know, there is the old, let me Google that for you, sir. Exactly. And so having all of this handled by more or less crappy chatbots, perhaps, why wouldn't you? Because me, when I have a real big problem, I want to be going through the, not the 23 different step voice menu, but have a chatbot analyze my question and immediately pass it on to a person. And have the other simple questions remain in chatbot hell. (laughs) 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 And from that point of view, you could say it's a better customer support experience because when you really need it, they'll be available more quickly. And if you don't really need it, you're just being entitled Oh, uh, well, okay, you'll you'll complain and everybody's happy because people are happy when they complain, right? Mm. Are you complaining about that? Mm. <laughs> Not convinced. Again, Not convinced. Not for good convinced. or for worse, I predicted last year I was wrong, I admit, but this year it's definitely going, it's definitely going uh, uh, be more prevalent than last year and... Yeah, I think they'll be they'll be everywhere. I think with your additional caveat that you've added, I think you probably are right on this one. As much as I hate to admit it, because (laughs) my, I mean, I'm I'm just hoping that they improve the experience. Because uh, yeah, but they will. That that, that's also what's happening now. That's also the reason why it will become more prevalent because the chatbots are getting better. Because the old chatbots were just simple if then else structures, which weren't intelligent at all. The new generation of chatbots will allow you to start a conversation on your PC and pick it up on your phone and just continue with the same state. The, the, The conversation will still be the same conversation. You don't have to repeat stuff. So things will get better. It's possible. And of course, I mean, a lot of companies these days, you go to their support page, you get their their Facebook link. Yep. I hate it because I don't do Facebook, but that's more and more what happens. Is put your question on Twitter so everybody knows how stupid you are. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to cut down on support requests. Yep. <laughs> so social uh, curation is called, I think. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Social pressure curation. Anyway, anyway I right. couldn't let it go without putting chatbots in there again. <clears throat> so I did that. Now I'm happy. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's that's all of my predictions. Any more from you? Uh, no, I think I've given uh, history more than enough uh, reasons to make me look stupid again in Telfenstein. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do that predict case. that we will have 52 excellent episodes of The Roaring Elephant out by next year. Well, there we go. Uh, that's a prediction I'm willing to sign up for. <laughs> Let's hope that one is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, fingers crossed. All right. Well, on that bombshell. 
this is about all the time we have for today again. It's a new year, but the show still have to stay a little bit short. We do hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.3w.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringalpha.org. Give us any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and any feedback you may have. Until next time, my name is John. My name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye.